Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. You're listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Architect Podcast, episode 94. I'm your host, Chris Webster, with my co-host, Paul Zimmerman. Today, we discuss chatbots as agents of cultural outreach. Let's get to it. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the show. Paul, how's it going? It's all right. Today was kind of a uh, tech uh, apocalypse day for me at work. <laughs> a uh, part of the network crashed and then one of my servers crashed, but, uh, but I pulled through it and I'm back here and happy to talk to you. How are you doing today? Not too bad. Not too bad. The struggle is real with digital archaeology, is it not? Uh, sometimes, yeah. yeah. Though this wasn't sometimes. archaeology, this is just uh, well, digging around though. through, uh, <laughs> yeah, digging around yeah. through our server room. I mean, that happens. You know, I, I had a bunch of meetings today. As as, as our listeners know, I'm working with WildNote now, and I, uh, you know, we had a lot of discussions today over user experience and you know making changes to the to the platform that help our users get onboarded a little better and that's kind of the front end of things and you're working on the back end of things server stuff because you know we talk about archaeology and technology and it's not just about taking pictures and drawing and you know writing down notes about a thing you can do all those things but it has to be on technology that works and what makes that stuff works is servers a good design and things like that so it's it you have to factor all those in yeah, yeah. well i've said before probably i don't i say it anytime i speak to anybody about my department here that's uh the way that we look at things mm-hmm. we we layer them the important stuff is right out the edges you know the teachers teaching the students and then we scale it back there through our integrators and then down at the base of it all uh we techies to make sure that the uh, that the teachers and the students can do their thing way out at the periphery of it but it's all yeah. kind of an integrated whole top to bottom one bit works you know in support of the next layer yeah it's kind of amazing how shaky of a system this is all built on right like we can all be doing our stuff but the like three people that really understand it if they decide they don't want to do it anymore <laughs> like there's no support <laughs> oh man that i mean that's that's actually real too. I mean, I, I think about that as we move forward in time with technology and we, we're starting to automate a lot more things. We're starting to, you know, have things do jobs that people used to do. And as we do that, those things need maintaining. And until we have things to maintain those other things and things to maintain those things, then it's going to take people and it's going to take fewer and fewer people to have that knowledge base to really keep the entire planet running. And that in itself is somewhat of a scary um, proposition, but I think we'll, I think we'll make it work and there'll probably be some missteps along the way. And one of those missteps could be chatbots, but who knows? Let's, let's talk about chatbots and automation. So to bring up the article we're going to discuss today, and, and again, like we did a, a few episodes ago, we're probably just going to discuss this topic and use the article as a, as a jumping off point. But it's called, Can Heritage Bots Thrive? Toward Future Engagement and Cultural Heritage. And it was written by, it's a digital review. And it was written by, and I'm going to pronounce this wrong, Angeliki. Do you want me to try? <laughs> yeah, you, tr- oh. you try it. You try it. I was going to say the same. Angeliki Tsuganatu. Tsuganatu. That's kind of what I was going to say too. Oh, so. nice. <laughs> okay, good. So we probably um, both got it wrong. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Apologies, uh, <laughs> we, Angeliki. 
We, we both got it equally wrong. Yes. Um, this was written in the, uh, or published in Advances in Archaeological Practice, uh, Volume 6, uh, 2018. is actually the November issue, if you're looking for it, page 377 to 383. And we will have the DOI for that in the uh, show notes for this. I can't actually put the article in there. I've, I've thought about doing that before, but just to get around them. But this is something you actually have to pay for, typically, as a, as a member of the SAA. So... I think I'd probably get in trouble for posting the article. The yeah, PDF probably not it. the nice thing to do. Even probably if it does drive not. some traffic. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. All right, so uh, her. Let me just summarize the article real fast. So she basically was looking at chatbots, and and let's identify, let's define chatbot real fast. It's basically you've seen them before. Uh, they're if you have Facebook or Facebook Messenger, they're they're being extensively used in there, and, and in other places where. You go online and maybe something pops up and it says, hey, can I help you? And you, it, it looks like a person, but it's probably not. And he says, hey, can I help you? And he said, yeah, I'm trying to do this. And he said, oh, I can help you with that. Give me some more information. And then you you follow this series of questions. And it's it's something that's designed to help you through a process or answer questions. And, and basically, it's programmed to read certain responses from you. And if it gets stuck or something like that, well, that's where the coding comes in. Then, you know, the developers decide, well, it's either going to fail or it's going to lead you to these other resources or get you in some sort of circular loop where it just says, you know, call this phone number or something like that. So that's essentially a chatbot. And uh, what I'm, I'm just going to say Angeliki, I apologize for not using your last name. I can't try to mispronounce that every time I say it. But so what Angeliki did was she... Um, she basically did a study real quick of Facebook Messenger chatbots and and primarily because Facebook opened this up to people uh, just a couple of years ago. They had some kind of rudimentary chatbots in there. And then they opened up the developer platform and a whole bunch of them just exploded on the scene. And they do lots of different things. And I was actually going through and, and downloading a few more today just to kind of play with it. And so... You can download these to do any number of things, but what she did was she looked at three of them tied to heritage-related resources. I think they were all museums. Oh, one was the Anne Frank House. Um, two others were museums, I believe. Yep. Yeah, museums and, uh, in Italy. Yeah, and, and basically they're they're tied to the page. So when you go to the page and you hit message, you're actually talking to a chatbot, and it's it uh, you know they can lead you different places. So. Well, what are your thoughts on on chatbots before we get into any of the articles, which I don't know if we're going to talk about much? You know, I've had a few kind of like nascent thoughts about it in general here. Um, on the mm -hmm. one hand, you know, it, it touches on uh, broader topics that we cover on on this podcast. You know, it's technology related, uh, it, but it's not the kind of technology that we're normally talking about. We're normally talking about uh, data collection and data analysis. Uh, but this is another computer use, and it's a very ubiquitous one, and it deals with a, a big part of technology, which is communications. Uh, and so you said that you were in these meetings earlier today talking about uh, about WildNote and uh, mm -hmm. and what you could do to improve the user interface. And this is obviously uh, an attempt, this being chatbots in general, are obviously an attempt at making a friendly, useful, intuitive, accessible user interface to uh, to information for these, uh, these institutions. And I thought, you know, we have talked about museums and we... You know, this is tech related. Might as well see what we have to see. You know, let's chat about this. No yeah. pun intended there and see where it goes. Yeah. And quite honestly, you know, we're we've got integrated into WildNote and you'd see this the minute you go to the site down in the lower right hand corner is a, an icon that you probably recognize from other websites because it's a third party add on called Intercom. And if somebody's actually sitting at the Intercom interface, like you get a notification that somebody's 
had a had an issue or is communicating with it, then you can actually communicate in real time as a person. But it's set up on different pages to actually interact with you on its own. And we've set up different help articles and different things that say, hey, I mean, it's kind of like I, the first chat bot that most of us can probably think of is Clippy from Microsoft Word. Oh, and, hey, it looks like you're writing a letter. <laughs> <laughs> I, I purged Clippy. Um, I was glad that the article started with Eliza, which I have you know, semi-fond memories of from, uh, right? from middle school. Uh, nice. But Clippy, oh. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a common, I mean, that was like, I think one of the first that I can think of really in wide use chatbots. I mean, this Eliza, I had heard of it, but I, I don't, I think it's a little, um, a little old for me. I, I just don't remember it that much, but mm -hmm. um, it's, uh, but that's what it is. It's basically a thing that tries to help you through a series of conditional logic and questions. And I've tried to, I've built actually a few um, on the WildNote platform in the background that are around creating a new project and stuff like that, because we're finding that that's kind of a stumbling block for people. And, you know, so it's like, are you creating a project? And then there's a series of, um, and this is one of the formats she talked about in the article too. There's basically, you don't type any responses in, you just pick from a list of responses. And that actually helps guide the chatbot a little better because when you type in responses, the chatbot is required to suss out what you're really trying to say. And maybe you're using slang. Maybe you don't spell so well, you know, something like that. <laughs> and it's got to figure out, well, they spelled it this way, but did they mean this word? Did they mean this word? You know, what am I trying to look at here? Um, so that's what we're doing. Yeah. It certainly simplifies the logic. And actually, I want to uh, just specify here uh, before we get too deep into the topic is that uh, the article and probably most of our discussion today is going to be about chat bots as opposed to bots in general, though we may mm -hmm. uh, drift that direction as we go. Uh, uh, yeah. Because we're talking about different sorts of things with a different interaction. Uh, right. And bots have been in the news a lot with regards to, you know, election hacking um, and advertisements on Facebook and so on. I'm sure you've been reading the news and yeah. heard a lot about them. Uh, we're not talking about those kind of bots, at least not just yet today. We're talking about the chat bots, the ones that you interact with more or less like you would interact with a human. Yeah. And I think, and she brings this up in the article, the Turing test. Um, I think mm -hmm. the... Because chatterbot was the first use of that word, um, and then it was shortened to chatbot. And so I, I think to emphasize what Paul is saying, that the, the biggest difference is bots just do things for you. Bots is something where you just like, I want you to send this email to a whole bunch of email addresses and then collect information or something like that. You know, those are bots. You just basically program a series of instructions, and it does that, just like a robot would. But chatbot chatterbot is more of a thing to have a conversation with and there's just different levels of sophistication for that um i don't know that any of them could really pass the turing test and, and if you don't know the turing test is basically designed by a cartographer and early he would have been a computer scientist had he been born 20 years later but uh he was uh he developed this test basically where you interact with a machine or a device and if you can't tell that it's not human then it passes the test like if it sounds human to you, then it passes the test. And very few things have, I, I think some things have passed that test conditionally, but I don't know if anything's like absolutely passed the test with flying colors. I'm, I'm not sure if that's happened yet. Uh, I don't believe so. No, I, I don't at think At least so. haven't heard so. I think conditionally is the important thing there. And that again, yeah. that ties it back into the chat bots. The, uh, the domain, what they can discuss, what they can explain mm -hmm. to you is very much predetermined by the people who put these things together. 
Right. Uh, you can't have a wide-ranging conversation if you go too far off script for reasons like you said, because you don't speak the language particularly well, because you use a different dialect, because you don't spell well if you're typing in your answers. Um, that'll mm-hmm. throw it all, all to hell and uh, in a way that it probably wouldn't with a human being. Yeah, probably. You know, if you want to try one of these out while we're talking here, uh, one of the first examples she has is the Anne Frank house. And all these are on Facebook. This is where she used her uh, because Facebook Messenger is so integrated with chatbots now. Um, If you go to um, Anne Frank house on Facebook and you click message, basically, you'll be sent right into the chatbot. And one of the things she noticed, again, you know, they used they used some buttons here that you can click basically is how you interact with it. And if you try to type something in, like she tried asking about in Frank's father and the chatbot just couldn't handle it. It's like, my brain isn't advanced enough for your question. <laughs> <It's> just, <laughs> they just basically did a really simple decision tree is all they did. They said, yeah, Hey, choose your own adventure kind of. Exactly. Oh, that's a, that's a good one right there. I mean, I mean, that's essentially what a chatbot is. And the, so the, the smarter ones, and, and I think Siri could be considered probably at a really advanced chatbot for all intents and purposes, because you don't choose a series of things when you ask Siri a question or you try to have Siri do something. Siri tries to interpret what you want to do and then does that. And Google's the same way. Uh, Alexa's the same way. You know, uh, the Amazon Alexa, um, the OK Google thing, they're all basically really sophisticated AI that's trying to determine what you're saying. And you can say it a number of ways. I try to trick mine because I have our, uh, our, our our living room lights set up on um on, on Wi-Fi so I can access through Siri. And I try to tell it to turn the lights on and off in different ways. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> I try to use the word extinguish. She didn't like that. She didn't notice know what I was saying. I've tried to, I've tried other ways to just say, shut the lights off and it just doesn't, doesn't work sometimes. But sometimes I'm surprised that it does work and it just gets it. So. That's one I'd never thought of the, the turning the lights off because um, this is off topic, but <laughs> my, <laughs> my wife says, close the lights. And oh. she got it from her parents who are immigrants. And my mom, who's also an immigrant, different country entirely, uh, always yeah. said, close the lights. Uh, huh. So I wonder if, if Alexa would close the lights for you. I don't know. Uh, some of the phrasing I'm that I've been made aware of is dependent on the language that you choose. Hmm. So if you chose like British English, you could use British slang and British phrases to to do stuff, uh, to interact with Siri. If you chose Australian English, presumably something like that too. And if you chose another language entirely, presumably the slang and terminology that you use, what, what, um, what language is that? What, what, I guess, nationality or ethnicity were her parents? Her parents are, uh, are Serbian. So Serbian. Okay. Yeah. From uh, Yugoslavia when Yugoslavia was still Yugoslavia. And my mom is Argentine via Italy or Italian via Argentina, depending on the day of the week. <laughs> It'd be interesting to see if the Serbian word they were trying to say for turn off the lights actually means close. So if they said it in Serbian, it would actually do it. Or if close was the closest English interpretation of the word they were trying to say. Yeah. No yeah, idea. I, 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 it's just always stuck out as me as a curiosity. So I've just brought yeah. it up because you used uh, trying to trick it with turning off the lights. And I thought, <laughs> yeah. well, <laughs> I know a way to trick it or maybe not. Um, and this is a great example of what we're talking about with these chatbots because the three sites that, um, that the author here looked at are museums in different parts of the world, basically. And 
these chatbots are almost certainly not sophisticated enough to suss out different languages and different slang and stuff like that. And uh, that's one thing is, is we're looking at building chatbots for heritage resources. I was thinking, man, if you could do just even a quick one for every single, you know, archaeology dig and site that's on the planet that has a Facebook page, and a lot of them do, then you could really help a lot of people out. But then I started really thinking about it. Well, yeah, I could do that in English. But what about the, you know, 200 other languages that people speak? How am mm-hmm. I going to how am I going to do it in that? But I don't know. Uh, we're going to get better at that. That's the only thing <laughs> I can imagine. But it's uh, it's not anything in my wheelhouse. That's for sure. Yeah, indeed, indeed. Uh, I think building these is uh, is a real is a real art, probably. And there's probably going to be people specialized in in building these sorts of things. Of course, the the best way to do it is to just build a really good AI platform that you can just basically point at anything and you don't have to teach it. You just oh, it just simple. learns. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, right. I mean, that's just it. Just build an artificial intelligence that could run the planet. Where have I, where have I heard that series of movies before? No, and it never goes wrong either. No, no, of course not. Of course not. So, so the the uh, to back again before we go too far astray here. Uh, yeah. Back to the article. Uh, she's talking about uh, the chatbots. And what are they doing? I mean, one of the things she says is that many bots are currently mm-hmm. used in museums. And when I read that, I was like, really? Many? <laughs> uh, she could be right. I just, I, it's something that I hadn't noticed. I hadn't paid any attention to. So, uh, you know, do you have any experience with chatbots in museums outside of what you just read here? Because I, I certainly don't. But I could, again, I could see myself just not mm-hmm. having noticed it. No, I haven't. Uh, and I've, the only thing I've done, of course, is I've, I've worn the headset that says, you know, you punch in the number or whatever for whatever display you're looking at and it gives you information. But I've never seen anything that was even mildly interactive, um, you know, where it, and I'm not sure, like, what kind of interaction would you even want? Because most people go to through a museum somewhat linearly, you know, along the wall and they're going from here to here to here to here, pretty much the way they want you to go. And it's like it really is a one way delivery of information. Like, what, what kind of questions could I ask it that wouldn't be already presented to me, mm-hmm. you know? Like usually if you're looking at stuff, the history of the object will be there. The, um, if it's, if it's got a, if it's got a person who created it, that name will probably be there. The medium is probably there, you know, other stuff like that. It's like, what question can I possibly ask that is not already presented right in front of me? You know, unless they want to get rid of all that information and have it purely in the chatbot realm. Or have both. Yeah. You know, we do have uh, text panels when you go to museums, we do have text panels and we have the audio guides. Uh, and the way that these are presented, at least in the article, and again, I don't have any experience with them elsewhere, um, in museum context, that is. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, maybe they, they maybe they're the next step in the audio guide. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They certainly seem to be uh, the ones that she presented in the museum. And I did also want to highlight that the Anne Frank uh, example, the Anne Frank House example, was really geared for people who wanted to go to the museum or who weren't going to be going there but wanted to find some basic information about Anne Frank. Um, the other two were more geared towards people actually at the museum, uh, mm-hmm. going through the museum, trying to plan what they were going to do in and out and about the museum as well. So, um, so there are different ways of interacting with it, different ways of creating an interactive environment via the chatbot, different purposes that they can serve. But generally, these ones are all informational. You know, they're not necessarily entertaining. They're not necessarily, I mean, entertainment for the sake of keeping you 
mm-hmm. engaged for a bit, but not something necessarily that one would go to like a movie for entertainment. Right. Uh, and certainly not one, like we said before, that would be able to hold a, uh, any kind of a conversation on a wide range of topics. It's not going to keep you company at night. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the ones that worked with the museum too, almost an interactive experience, are intriguing to me because they, uh, I mean, anytime unless it's like a really, really, really small, like local museum. Anytime I've been in a museum, typically it's like a silo where cell service goes to die. And these are based in Facebook, you know, Facebook messenger to be more precise. And it means you have to have your phone out and an internet connection. And so they either need to have Wi-Fi or cell service needs to just work inside the building. And, uh, to, to base, to base your interface and your stuff on purely that would probably be a really big mistake because some people have cell service in different places than others, depending on the carrier you have. So um, creating their own app and that you download maybe at the entrance where everything works offline, it's all downloaded straight to your phone. Then you can use it anywhere in the museum. That would be a little bit more um, advantageous and a little bit smarter, I think. But then they'd ha- they wouldn't be able to update it in real time either. They'd have to mm. you know push an update to the app. Or alternatively, uh, a museum could have ones for checkout like they do with the audio guides. Right, right. You know, and then their own network and their own devices on that network. And, you know, yeah. you check one out, you walk around the uh, the museum with it, and then you you put it aside when you're done. Um, yeah, give somebody an yeah. iPod Touch or something like that. Exactly. So... I was interested, though, in, in uh, this museum interaction because you present two different modes of it, uh, mm-hmm. and that did get some of my gears turning, and I think yours, too, in some of the examples that you give here. So why don't we take a little break here, and when we come back after the break, we can, uh, we can start to you know, brainstorm what one could do uh, in heritage sites and archaeological sites and the like, uh, and museums as well, with, uh, with uh, new and better chatbots. Hey, podcast fans and digital archaeologists, have you heard about WildNote? It's a data collection app that works online or offline on your smartphone or tablet, iOS or Android. It allows you to collect field data easily, manage data efficiently, and generate data reports and site records effortlessly. We have a growing list of state site forms built in for your use and some generic forms that will work anywhere. Check out the shovel testing and photograph forms. You can get a free all-access 30-day trial today by going to wildnoteapp.com. That's wildnoteapp.com for your free 30-day trial. Now back to the show. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hi, welcome back to the Architect Podcast, episode 94. Today we're talking about chatbots. Um, so when we left off the last segment, we uh, we were basically covering uh, some of the points raised by Angeliki Tuzanaku. Oh, I bungled her name. I knew I was going to do it. You don't even have to cut that out because my apologies. Well, now you have to take it. Tsuganatu. There we go. There you go. Deep apologies. I am guessing this is a Greek name and I um, sometimes have troubles with Greek names, I guess. Um, Yeah, I can't do it. So uh, (laughs) anyhow, so 
she was discussing three distinct uh, distinct uses of chatbots in European museums, and uh, and I was saying that you know it got both of our juices flowing a little bit in terms of the ideas that you know directions that one could take chatbots you know regardless of the platform it doesn't necessarily have to be tied to the Facebook Messenger platform like these three were, um, so you know the ones that. Are given here these infobots are really a lot like the uh, the phone trees you deal with when you're calling a customer support number you know they'll mm-hmm. ask you a simple question uh yes no you'll say a simple phrase usually ending with customer representative customer representative and then you get to a real <laughs> human being um <laughs> Yeah, but it, you know it's a decision tree, like you said earlier. It's it's a lot of if thens. If you go this way, you go that way. You've, you know this is the next thing. And we discussed also their use uh, in the two of the examples as you know maybe uh, augmentations to museum audio guides or supplements to them or replacements for them, and also as some kind of limited docent or tour guide in in museums. Um, and so you'd written down some notes here about different kinds of places aside from museums that one might be able to use them. Do you want to go mm-hmm. into uh, into what you were thinking? Yeah. I, I mean, I'm thinking all the places where where really having a person there is cost prohibitive and, and we're mm. actually losing information and we're losing that customer uh, and, and really public interfacing because there simply is nobody doing this job right now. And my thought is like the BLM websites, National Park Service, things like that, where they always have limited budgets that they're working with and really short staffed on every single thing that they're doing. And having some sort of chatbot interface. I mean, I don't know how many times I've gone to a BLM website and tried to find something because, you know, I work on BLM lands a lot. So mm-hmm. when I try to go find, you know, maybe I can't find a fieldwork authorization request on my computer for some reason. I can always find it. But if, just as an example, if I go to the BLM website to try to find it again, okay, so I'm on BLM.gov, but I need BLM Nevada. Now where's this? And where's the archaeological resources stuff? If a thing just came up and said, what are you looking for? And I could type that in and then find it because their search is total junk too. Uh, Their Mm -hmm. search typically finds like articles and stuff. It doesn't actually find pages on the website where I need to be. And I think they could really benefit from stuff like that because, you know, people go to these websites and they're like, how do I get a permit for a Christmas tree, you know, to be topical in December as we're recording this? Um, How do I, you know, get a permit to do this or, you know, where are maps for that and stuff like that? It would save everybody so much time if we could just have chatbots in those sorts of areas and then, you know, bringing it back to heritage and archaeology and things like that, you might have questions about a property that's on BLM land that you saw maybe. And you can ask a question about that and say, what what more information do you have about this? Can I go visit it? You know, uh, you know, stuff like that. Just chatbots that can help interact with the public and then answer not only answer questions like a real info bot, but but interact in a in a meaningful way. Um you know, I, I like it's something I got to mention real fast here when you mentioned the phone trees. The one thing I like about Internet chatbots is aside from like on Facebook, they have the three little dots that indicate they're typing something when they're not actually typing anything. I don't need that <laughs> illusion. Right. Just give me the information. Like I, I was just on a phone call the other day when I was trying to do something and you could hear this fake typing in the background when she's like typing up what I just said. Oh, yeah. And then. And then, oh, yeah, okay, hold on a second here. And it, it actually kind of sounds real, but I know it's mm-hmm. 100% fake. <laughs> and I was just like, just own the fake. I know you're fake. Own it. You oh, know? well, you I, know what that brings up. Sorry, I'm going to cut you off here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, go ahead. <laughs> because I wrote this down. Um, you know, with, um, with 
uh, 3D renderings, you know, animated yeah. renderings of human beings. There's this notion, the uncanny valley, right? Yep. Where something looks almost right, but not quite. It's, it's really <laughs> well done, but there's just a little offness to it that is just yeah. makes it creepy as hell. And so if you're, if you're not as realistic, it's fine. And if you were perfect, it'd be fine. But there's a gap in there where things, and, and I think that what you're saying is that, uh, listening to the fake typing as the uh, as the chat bot goes hmm let me think about this for a minute uh <laughs> let me pull up your record you know <laughs> when you call into verizon or time warner or whatever it is um is the uncanny valley <laughs> on a phone tree mm-hmm. yeah i mean i don't need i don't need to think that i'm talking to a human we've gone to this mm-hmm. weird place where you know oh People say in their customer service, like, oh, we have real live humans in our customer service. Like, that's a like that's an advantage. Humans are dicks. Right. Like, like <laughs> I, I would am. rather I know <laughs> like I would rather talk to an advanced chatbot that can actually just get me what I need in a shorter period of time rather than me having to explain it to them. You know, mm-hmm. that's that's what I want. And I would want the same thing from a museum, from a BLM or NPS website, from, a, you know, anything. I just want information and, and I'm fine with it coming from a robot or a computer. Right. I'm fine with that because at least I know what I'm dealing with when it's coming from a human. You know, I don't know what they did that day. I don't know if they had bad breakfast, if, you know, their wife just left, left them or their, you know, their husband died or something like that. I mean, I don't that's terrible, but it affects their job and it affects you know, how they present information to me and maybe it's cold and heartless, but I just want information sometimes mm-hmm. and I don't want to have to deal with a bunch of crap to get it, you know? Well, I guess that so. matters of authenticity there. I mean, um, you yeah. know, for a few years there, especially on iOS, uh, so many of the interfaces were made to look like real things. You had faux yeah. grain, uh, leather grain on your on your contact book in your phone. Well, there's no reason for that. And now everything's yeah. moved away from that. Now, you know, whether it's uh, Metro Design or, um, or now I'm drawing a blank on, uh, or on the Google and the uh, Apple mm-hmm. names of the same thing. It's a more flat design, they call it. Yeah, it's that flat yeah. design, but they, they each have their own yeah. names. And I'm just being yeah. silly right now and I can't remember. But anyhow, um, you know, We've moved away from that. The, the interaction is the important thing, but we don't have to pretend to be something else. And so, um, mm-hmm. so a chatbot, does that make it not a chatbot if it doesn't pretend to be a human? You know, that's that's an interesting way to look at it. I mean, they do still have bot in the phrase, so yeah. they haven't tried to they haven't tried to change that. But real quick, though, do you know what the uh, the ten dollar word is for things looking like? They supposed to like a folder looking like a folder. Skeuomorphic. There's another Skeuomorphic. great yeah. Greek word. <laughs> that one I can say. It's not a name. Right, right. I love that word. Um, yeah. So it, it, it's an interesting aside about skeuomorphism is some things like I, I can't even think of another symbol to replace it. Like I was, I was just noticing it on my phone just today when I was in a meeting and I Siri came up with a suggested call I should make about another meeting and even the phone icon on my on my phone right now is like a handset phone like with a with the end receiver not even like a phone from the 80s you know with the with the touchpad dial like like a phone on a dial receiver but it's just the handset i'm like Mm -hmm. how many people that have been born in the last 15 years unless they've seen in a movie actually even know what that is and and yet what they know it is is it's somehow the symbol for a phone whether whether or not they know what the original one looked like that is now the symbol for a phone 
Well, the big example of that on computers is the uh, the floppy disk icon that means to oh, save yeah. things. <laughs> right. Nobody's used a floppy disk in 20 years. You know? No, no. What the hell does that even mean? Yeah. Yeah. But what are you going to use to actually represent that? You know, yeah. what other symbol could possibly mean that at this point in our lives? You know, so if, if the whole world was wiped out today, what symbol would come back as the symbol to save this file? You know, it's it's strange. Um. Anyway, what were we talking about? Oh yeah, chatbots. Chatbots. Oh yeah, so we we're talking about different interactions with them, and you were talking about you know BLM and and NPS and um and I you know you went in a different direction than I thought you were going to take it. You were talking about intelligent search assistants, um, mm-hmm. you know, which Google actually is getting pretty good at. A lot of the kinds of questions that you posed, I just type straight into Google when yeah. I when I have to do a search, and uh, you know, if it doesn't get me the right answer, I can usually then pull out a few terms. That'll help mm-hmm. me narrow in, zero in on the answer fairly quickly to get those kind of deep, random bits of information. Hey, what time is this place open at? Um, what's that building that overlooks that hill? You know, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I was expecting that you're going to go with, uh, you know, on site, uh, you know, when you're at a heritage site. Yeah. Um, and Wow, uh, something that you said there just had me really excited for a moment. I bit my tongue, but I was thinking, I, I'm, I don't know if they have any cell service there, but uh, about the you know the expense of having human guides, would it be awesome to have a, a decent chat bot that you could go around Chaco Canyon with? Oh, that would be fantastic. There's so many questions I had there. Yeah, so many questions. You know? What the hell am I looking at? <laughs> yeah, know? yeah. I mean, they uh, hand you like this map that has very little information on it, you know, this brochure basically. Mm-hmm. And it, it would just be amazing. And I know when we were there, we didn't have cell service at all. And um, so it would need to be, like I mentioned, a, an app that you download from the National Park Service or maybe even just Chaco Canyon. And you just pick it and say, I need this information. Then walk around with your headphones on and have it because the GPS would still work. It would still know where it's at. Yeah. And that place is that place is big enough that I don't need like room by room GPS on some of the I mean, that would still be pretty cool. Yeah. But I could just be at Pueblo Benito and say, OK, what where, what can I do from here? You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that would be pretty sweet. A lot of work to put together, but that would be pretty sweet to have. So that's the kind of thing that I'd like to envision. That basically taking mm-hmm. what uh, what in the article was discussed as is something that would be in a museum and bring it out into the broader world, into mm-hmm. you know open air sites as well. Um, and then I was thinking, you know, you just mentioned GPS, know where you're at. I would love to have uh, an added layer of AR, where either it can recognize mm-hmm. the shapes of certain things and know that you're at, looking at a particular item in a museum. Or it can overlay information and use that, you know, alongside the chatbot. So you could you could really uh, craft a, a nicely guided tour for somebody um, as they went through, uh, mm-hmm. be it a site or a museum or any other kind of heritage site. Um, and you know, again, very inquits notion here. It's just kind of percolating now as I was reading that and as we were discussing this idea, but. Um, but I want to see a convergence of a lot of these kinds of ways of displaying and conveying information. Yeah, the nice thing is a lot of these, a lot of the information in these things, whether it's an app on your phone, Facebook Messenger, or even an overlay on an AR, you know, glasses or or display on your tablet or phone or something like that. A lot of that, the information's really only got to be put together once, and then it can be used in these different formats. Mm-hmm. So it's a lot of work initially. 
But even if we change the format later on, like we go to a 100% virtual reality format where you're laying in your living room on a device that, you know, transports you to these areas, it's still the same information. Like that's not going to change. You know, what we know of Chaco Canyon is, eh, it's, we might learn some new stuff in the future, but I think we probably got it about 95, 96% nailed, right? Like there's just not a whole lot more we're going to learn about that unless we somehow come up with a way where we can detail the, the actual lives of individuals that live there. But until we can do that, we've got a pretty good picture. So the information just has to be compiled once in a way that can be read by these things. And then, you know, different technologies, I would imagine, would read the information and interact with the information in different ways to present it back to you. You know, right now it's more decision tree like and, and in the future it would probably be more conversational, you know, like you're just having a chat with somebody. But like one of the comments I made here, you know, uh, to pass the Turing test, it needs to be seen as, uh, you know, passing for human. But and, and I mentioned docents at museums, but like like I said in one of my comments here on our notes, I was like, can a docent in a museum even pass the Turing test like an actual human? Because <laughs> like they're, such, they're just people working a job and, you know, they memorized all this information so they could be a docent at the museum. Now, maybe some of them are way more into it than others. Don't get me wrong. I'm sure some of them are fantastic at what they do and they, they have really gotten into it. But, you know, there's probably some and, and your wife works in a museum and maybe she can she can speak to this. But um, and you live in like the Mecca of museums. But there's got to be some that are just like if you pose them a question that's outside of the framework of their job and what they know, they just like you can almost see them shut down. Right. Like you just see them just like, uh, I don't know. And, uh, you know, then a five year old pulls out Wikipedia and answers it for you. But otherwise, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I think chatbots would be a serious help in those things because. I, I, they just could be smarter. You program them with all the information. Yeah, I mean, I also. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> am I am I human or am I a robot? You just stumped me. No, I was going to say the um, the the being posed a question that that shuts you down. I've I've certainly had that happen when I'm teaching. Uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> oh yeah, I just don't know. It happens daily. Actually, we kind of revel in it at work. Is that um, because we all work together? Um, there's not any shame for us to to have somebody come down and ask us a question that stumps us. You know, it's a great challenge, mm -hmm. and if we can't get it, we're going to hand it off to the next person. Um, but that brings up then the the bit that chatbots are probably weaker at. I mean, you, if you stump a person and they stump and they act stumped and they apologize or whatnot. Um, or they pass off to somebody else, they try to deflect, they do any of the things that people do when you ask them a question they don't know the answer to, you know it's a person, right? Mm -hmm. uh, the interaction is, is very human. It's an interaction that we've all had before. Uh, that's something that we don't generally get with the chatbot. It gives you a pat. I don't know the answer to that. I didn't understand. Could you please rephrase something like that? Um, yeah. I don't even know where I was going with this. I think just the <laughs> uh, the richness of the interaction is the, it's what mm -hmm. makes a difference. And that's, I guess, what you were going at, that, uh, that as you can ask more complex, varied, natural language kinds of questions and, uh, and with more capacity to understand different dialects and different languages um, and different quirks in like misspellings if you're typing it, um, the, the richer these, uh, these tools will be, mm -hmm. the richer the interaction with them will be. And at some point, you're going to hit that point that, uh, that it's indistinguishable from, uh, from dealing with actually a real human being. So I, I think one of the concluding questions I would have in this segment is, are we ready 
Our our chatbots our chatbots at a good enough point where they can actually help public outreach and interaction with some of these historical and heritage resources? Or is it the kind of thing that's just not fully baked yet and that we shouldn't be wasting our time putting them together because we're going to put more time into it than then we're the benefit we're going to get out of it. You know, people are just going to get frustrated with it or something like that. What do you, what do you think? Are we there yet? Should we put resources into this? No, my gut feeling is that, yeah, if, if we have, um, the audio guides, which are pretty limited, I've never mm-hmm. been a fan of them. Some people are, that's fine. Uh, it's mm-hmm. just personal preference. Uh, but as a one-to-one replacement for that, not doing anything more involved other than asking very simple questions with preset press this button as an answer uh, or that button or the other that takes you on a decision tree um yeah we're there we've we've been there for a long time because we've had stuff like that um you know you skip ahead on the the museum guide because you can't access something uh, (laughs) on a given day because it's on loan or it's in conservation or there are too many people crowded around it or whatever or it doesn't interest you um whatever the reason uh people are comfortable with that mode of interaction i don't think that that the chatbot has to be any different from that it's just again i used the word earlier but it could be an augmentation of that mm-hmm. uh so i think that yeah sure we're there uh and then let it build from there see what other kinds of cool things can be added onto it can be uh can can grow from that because it's a um it's a more fertile platform i think i'm mixing metaphors here um a more fertile <laughs> platform from which to grow uh, uh, uh new modes of interaction uh so that's good um and one of these modes of interaction actually tying this right back to the article is that uh that the two italian examples the house museums of milano and the national museum of the 21st century arts in rome uh, they both add a gamification layer to the uh, mm-hmm. to the chatbots. Um, I thought that was doesn't cool. go into a whole lot of details to uh, what the gamification is. I mean, the uh, the National Museum of the 21st Century Arts adds one that you can actually win tokens, virtual tokens that you can spend at the gift shop. Uh, mm-hmm. Well, that's kind of interesting. I'm you know I. I generally um well i'm very much mixed about gamification of things i think they can be extremely useful but that could be really engaged especially i would expect younger uh visitors uh capture their attention while they're there and encourage repeat visitors which is something that mm-hmm. i think most museums are really craving because a lot of things a lot of times you go to a museum you check it off the box and then you don't ever have to go there again so I do see it, again, as a way of expanding what the museums in particular, but certainly other kinds of heritage sites, uh, can do with um, with how they interact with the public. <laughs> yeah, I, I know. I, I, I'm of mixed mind about gamification as well, because my brain thrives on gamification. Like, I, I don't know if it's because I grew up in the video game era or what, but if something can be gamified, I mean, I'm more likely to do it. Case in point... My wife heard this podcast on intermittent fasting. Have you heard about this? Internet and fasting? In, no, intermittent fasting. Oh, intermittent fasting. I haven't heard of the podcast. Yeah. I've heard of the uh, the idea. Yeah, the idea. Well, no, she heard yeah. the topic on a on a different podcast, oh, and okay. so she was like, "Well, you know, let's maybe we should try this. You know, we could both stand to lose some weight, and there seems to be a little bit of science behind this. Basically, you know, picking a, a window of certain size to to which you can eat, basically, uh-huh. and then not eating outside of that window, and um, 
So I was looking around and I found this app called Zero, and we're not doing the app. I didn't plan on doing this for my app of the day until you just said all this, but <laughs> I found this app called Zero, and basically it has an Apple Watch complication, so I can see this little thing that says, you know, how far I am into a you know sixteen or eighteen hour fast, and uh, and then and then you know when you're done, it produces this graph, and you can see on the days and how many you know your goal is this, how many times did you reach over this goal? It's very weak gamification, but it is just enough in my brain for me to want to like have a perfect week. You know what I mean? Like have a perfect thing, and and that's what the Apple Watch has done for my um, exercise as well. I can see my three little rings down here. I know that I'm. Uh, uh, doing pretty well on my exercise goal and my move goal. My stand goal obviously will not be complete until probably 5, 6 p.m. this evening. And, uh, and, and I'm progressing right along. And that's gamification. And that being said, though, if I were game, looking at something like these museum coins in a, in a museum setting and gamification, I'd be, I, my brain would probably be more focused on completing the game and doing well in the game while I'll probably learn something along the way. I'm a little more interested in like, you know, the gamification aspect of it just because somebody said it was a game and I want to win it. Now, that's probably just my personality, but I'm sure other people are like that as well and they want to do that. And then the the final part of this is, okay, so they want to encourage people to do this. So they give them these coins so they can get discounts in the museum store. Does that mean people who don't get the coins are paying like these inflated prices? Because <laughs> I'm sure they're You've not getting a, a real discount. museum gift store before, right? <laughs> Everybody's paying inflated price. <laughs> right? Yeah. So these coins, does it bring it down to like the normal inflated price or is it inflated even more for those that don't get the coins? I mean, come on. Yeah. So I don't know. How does gamification work for you, Paul, in, a, in the last minute here? Wow. Um, yeah. So I uh, I don't particularly uh, play well <laughs> with gamification. Again, no pun intended. That's just the words that came out of my mouth. Um it doesn't really hook me in general. There have been a few things like I think I've mentioned Duolingo. Um, yeah. That, oh, that does a good job of hooking me and dragging me along, but I haven't used Duolingo in a couple of years now. I should again, mm -hmm. but I don't have the time. So it's not something that's particularly useful to me, but I do see it as a good way of, you know, encouraging interaction. And, uh, and the problem is, like what you just said, if you're using it for uh, a pedagogical reason, if you're using it to try to convey information and you add a gamification layer onto it, do you dilute the, uh, the, the pedagogical purpose uh, in favor of the game do people who interact with it think of it only as a game and let the other stuff wash by them without sticking uh just because they're trying to reach the next level or get the next token or prize or whatever it is uh, right you know and that that's true and then there's also the problematic aspect of uh, gamification and that so many things in our lives now especially through the computers and through our devices are um are highly addictive right so yeah you know if you're building a model of interaction with the public that's based on something that's potentially you know problematically addictive uh you might want to be careful about how you're going about that um i doubt that you're going to build a successful uh, uh replacement for Fortnite. you know for going to the anne frank <laughs> museum i they'd be highly inappropriate but um but, you know, if you're still using the same sorts of models for how you get somebody hooked on something, uh, you might want to wonder about, uh, well, I'll just leave it there. I, I don't even know where yeah. I'm going with this, yeah, but, yeah. you know, it could be problematic. Um, again, it can be useful, it can be problematic. That's like most of our tools, isn't it? I think so. 
All right. Well, let's call that the end of it then. Um, if, if you've come across any really cool bots that you thought worked really well for not only Facebook Messenger, but other stuff, like as, uh, we use Slack pretty extensively here in the APN, and Slack has bots that you can insert. Um, I use bots with Trello to do different things. They're, they're, they're not really chat bots, but they're more bots in the sense that they do things for you. And uh, uh, if you've got any fun ones, let us know. You know, send us a message. Let's put that down as a uh, future episode idea. Hey, we should. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, let's absolutely do that. Um, All right. So I think we'll call it right there and we'll come back in just a minute for our app of the day segment. Back in a second. This network is listener supported. We're trying to move away from paid advertising while also creating new shows and supporting the ones we have. The APN has never and will never make a serious profit on our podcast. Every little dime we make goes back into the network and improving show quality. So become a member today at www.arcpodnet.com slash members to show your support, get some extras, and be a benefactor for archaeological education. Members get stickers, a coffee mug, a t-shirt, bonus content, early access to episodes, a private Slack team to talk to other members and the hosts, and full access to training on Team Black over at arccert.black. So check out our memberships at www.arcpodnet.com slash members today and support archaeological education. That's www.arcpodnet.com slash members. Now back to the show. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks... Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. All right, welcome back to episode 94 of the Archaeotech Podcast App of the Day segment. And, you know, we already kind of talked about uh, a handful of app-related things in uh, in the context of the episode, so we're not going to get too into this. But when I was – so when the when the bots first came out for Facebook Messenger, I didn't really get into it. I, I kind of browsed around a little bit, but as with everything new, there wasn't a huge catalog yet. And it's actually it's actually a little bit confusing to figure out how to find a bot within Facebook Messenger. So typically, I, I haven't found, honestly, a way to do it on the um, on a desktop machine yet. Now, if you go to somebody's website, like we're mentioned in the article in the last couple segments, and they have a message thing there, there you will interact with the bot. But if you're trying to add a bot to your Facebook Messenger, uh, that's something that's not related to like a specific page. It's more of a chat bot. That I couldn't really figure out how to do. I was trying to do that today, and I couldn't figure out how to do it. Um, where it's easy to do is on your phone. So if you've got Facebook Messenger downloaded for your phone as a separate application, then uh, you can go into uh, actually search at the top of the screen, just where you have normal people that you talk to all the time. You can go into search and look for things. And if you go into search, 
and you see something like, let me type in something real quick here. You go into discover, actually, you can go over there and see different stuff. Um, I'm on the uh, iOS app here. They've got this little icon. It's like a, it's like a hexagon with a little lightning bolt inside of it. And it says automated messaging. Those are typically the bots. You know, if it doesn't say automated messaging next to it, then mm-hmm. you're probably going to talk to a real human being. And, and it's not a bot at all. It's just somebody's page like that you're talking to. Mm-hmm. So I, t- I looked at some stuff. They had some categories under there. And I looked up productivity. And one that I downloaded, and it's already sent me stuff today, is called Word of the Day. And that's it. And I've got a link to it in the uh, in the show notes, just en.wordwordapp.com. And apparently they've got a regular app you can download. And I thought this was neat. It's not a bot that's going to give me a bunch of crazy stuff. You know, I've always got my phone with me. I always pick it up in the morning and check new notifications. And I just downloaded this today, so I don't know when it's going to notify me. But um, it immediately gave me a word of the day of tur tur turgif. And it has a pronunciation here. It'll give you the uh, audio pronunciation, but it's make conflicting or evasive statements equivocate. And I was like, oh, okay. And you can see a full description and uh, it will, it will basically use it in a sentence and says here, the thought of tergiversating crossed his mind several times, but like a true soldier, he continued with the war against the enemy and against himself. I was like, wow, that's pretty crazy. And I can have it give me more words if I want here. I can go to the web. I can do whatever I want. But I thought it's just a neat little, you know, stupid little thing. Now, this isn't a chat bot like we were talking about. This is really just a uh, a bot that gives me something once a day. There are some other chat bots in there, but uh, I figured I'd go look for something different for my, for my app of the day. So anyway, that's pretty much all I've got. Um, Paul, you should go check out some... Uh, Check out some chatbots. Did you download Facebook Messenger for your phone, or are you? No, I, uh, I, I years ago I got very upset with Facebook, so I, uh, <laughs> I killed my Facebook account, or as much oh, as you right. can kill a Facebook account. I yeah. had to revive it last year for posting things on the uh, AIA New York Society webpage, yeah. uh, Facebook page rather. Um, so I had to revive the account, and I studiously avoid it for everything except for posting to that to that one page. So anytime nice. somebody tries to friend me on it or anything, it just sits there forever because I avoid Facebook like the plague. I think it is. <laughs> I am going to, I work with a bunch of developers here and I'm going to have them create a bot that simply just reposts Fox news articles to your Facebook page. So if you ever do go there, you'll, you'll actually, I'll explode. just be totally, totally <laughs> shocked and absolutely not shocked at the same time. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> Nice, nice. I actually, um, yeah, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, so I don't really have a uh, an app of the day today because uh, I've downloaded a few things, mostly uh, for Christmas shopping, you know, things that are checking mm-hmm. Amazon um, with greater or lesser success, nothing that I really care to talk about. But um, but since we're talking about my uh, extreme offlineness with regards to Facebook, <laughs> uh, I just thought it's funny. Uh, yesterday, I signed up for a um for a soccer indoor soccer league um, uh-huh. oh yeah uh, real gamification yeah real gamification i <laughs> will see how this goes because i haven't played soccer in a long long time i was never any good and uh, it turns out that i'm twice the age of everybody else there with half the skill uh, <laughs> but as they put so, the team so together, you're the ref I, so, well, so that's you, the thing <laughs> i'm normally the ref on like on my son's leagues right but yeah. um but no, I decided I wanted to actually play for a change. And uh, <laughs> this league is not quite what I was expecting it to be. It's a lot more serious than I was planning. Mm-hmm. I thought there was going to be, you know, some geezers like me. Uh, anyhow, that's not important. The important thing is that um, 
that once the teams got put together, uh, I ended up on a team, I'm sure to everybody on that team's chagrin, and we all put each other's names in because they, they were trying to say, how are we going to, how are we going to organize? How are we going to get each other's, oh, let's group text, let's do this. And they said, pretty quickly, they settled on GroupMe. Mm-hmm. Communication app. It's been around for eight years, 10 years. Yeah. I've never heard of this damn app. <laughs> I haven't either. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, it's owned by Microsoft. It was, uh, it was its own development. It got bought out by Skype. And then when Skype got bought by Microsoft, it's now a Microsoft app. It's uh, iOS and Android. Um, and it's got a web page that you can do it. You can use it just with SMS or you can do it through the app. Um, pretty slick. Um, now I've got yet another messaging app um, here on my computer, on my phone rather, uh, alongside all the other ones I don't use, like uh, Google Hangouts Chat and um, <laughs> Google Hangouts, two different things. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, well, Slack is here. I do use that some. Uh, Skype, which I haven't used in forever. WhatsApp, which I only use for people who, you know, friends of mine who don't live in the US and who are WhatsApp based. Uh, Wow, how'd I miss this? Yeah, I have no idea because they even their God, even their uh, their like web page it says even works over uh, SMS and it shows yep. like an old iPhone four or something like that with an old operating system and like a handset and a flip phone. Yeah, like a flip phone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you don't even need to use have our app to use GroupMe. It sounds like it's probably just a. God, I don't know how that works, actually. But all these 25 to 30-year-olds, uh, they yeah. they settled on it really quickly. They've used it before. Wow. That's huh. pretty cool. So, yeah, yeah there's, there's you know whole worlds of, uh, of different ways of using the computer and using the phones and these devices that, that even though I kind of do this for a living, I had no idea existed. Mm-hmm. Nice. Nice. Well, I will, uh, that, that reminds me, I want to say one more app just as we're putting apps out there. Cause when you said group me, it made me think of this, even though it's absolutely nothing like this, but, um, just in case you guys are doing some sort of, uh, you know, holiday thing where you have to pick presents for somebody like a uh, pull a name out of the hat kind of thing. Uh, my wife's family for the last, I don't know, four or five years, it's kind of a big family. So it's expensive to buy presents for everybody. So she's used this um, service called draw names, draw names.com. Mm. And the thing I like about draw names, two things, one, you can put a bunch of names in there. First off, it's totally free. And once everybody has accepted their invite for the year, because you can do it each year, once everybody's accepted their invite into the gift exchange, then then it draws the names and then you know whose name you drew nobody else knows whose name you drew uh and and you can't see who drew others names you don't know who got you and and but you can see everybody's wish list so you can put up a wish list of things and you can see everybody's wish list but again you don't know who um who got you but you know who you got and that's pretty much it but the other cool thing is you can put in exclusions too like uh she automatically put in the exclusions of like spouses don't get each other like i'm not going to get her and she's not going to get me mm -hmm. and you're not going to get the person you got last year now you might get the person you got a couple years back because you put in too many exclusions you won't get anybody but so she puts those two in no spouses and then no um not getting the person you got last year and it saves all those data so i can go back and look at the past years and see who got whom and uh and it's pretty neat it's really slick it's totally free it works right online and it's uh it's pretty easy we've used it like i said every year for the last like four or five years That's and pretty cool. uh yeah, it's pretty neat. It's fun and easy to set up. And if you do any kind of gift exchange, whether it's at work or, you know, family or whatever, then give it a shot. It's pretty cool. 
My kid, we do one, my sisters and I amongst our kids uh, every Christmas, but it's six kids total. So we just put names in a hat and uh, if yep. it's a sibling, we throw that name back in and draw again. Yeah. Uh, so it's not very difficult, but. Um, this is essentially the uh, the equivalent of that. And I guess one of the thing I like about it too is when you're putting names in the, when you're putting items in the wish list, if you're just typing it in, like just typing the words in, uh, it searches like Amazon and Google and stuff like that. And it will actually pull up the product that you're that you're putting in there and then somebody can just click right on that and be taken right to the website and mm, it's pretty easy. easy so yeah it's pretty cool it's handy for us because most of us don't live in the same place except we meet up for christmas so mm-hmm. when you're trying to actually draw names out of a hat it gets a little complicated like a month or two ahead of time <laughs> yeah so um no it's it's pretty it's pretty neat i like it so all right. Well, I don't think I have anything else on on bots except that we're going to replace one or both of us with chatbots. Two two chatbots just having a conversation. We, we may on the have already. We, we just may both have. passed the Turing test. <laughs> I don't know. I did just see uh, an article that says that scientists are like ninety nine percent certain we're not living in a simulation. So, um, you know, just as like reality. <laughs> so you're saying there's a chance. <laughs> nice. Nice. <laughs> exactly. So if we are living in a simulation, then we're all just really advanced chatbots. So put that in your pipe and smoke it. Oh. All right. I know. I know. Okay. Well, that's all I've got. Paul, thanks a lot. Uh, I'm going to go brave the the one and only snow day we're probably going to get here in Reno and uh, and go from there. So Well, enjoy it. Yeah, indeed. They're getting Good feet talking to feet. you today. Yep. All right, man. We'll talk to you later. Bye. Take care. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Architect Podcast. Links to items mentioned on the show are in the show notes at www.arcpodnet.com slash architect. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com and paul at lugal.com. Support the show by becoming a member at arcpodnet.com slash members. The music is a song called Off-Road and is license-free from Apple. Thanks for listening. This show is produced and recorded by the Archaeology Podcast Network, Chris Webster and Tristan Boyle in Reno, Nevada at the Reno Collective. This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archpodnet.com. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com. Thanks again for listening to this episode and for supporting the Archaeology Podcast Network. If you want these shows to keep going, consider becoming a member for just $7.99 US a month. That's cheaper than a venti quad eggnog latte. Go to archpodnet.com slash members for more. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. So.